for the word today? How many ready for it? That's about four people. I'm going to try it again. Let's go on the count of three. Here's going to be your chance. Are you ready for the word today? Let's go. We are closing out a message theme entitled Answers, where we took uh, a survey on Easter of this year, and we asked you what were your top four top questions, and then we took the top four, and uh, we've spent the last several weeks uh, talking about those. How many have received something from this? You got something from I know I have, just not only hearing uh, Brian Larson speak on it, but also just during the study, uh, it has just been helped me. Like, man, last week, dealing with my emotions, how do I handle my emotions? It helped me this week, dealing with my emotions. Anybody else? No, you still messed up? That's all right. Good. That's why, that's why you keep coming to church. That's why we do it. Well, today, uh, we're going to close this out. And uh, before I dive in, I want to tell you next week, uh, as we move into uh, October and getting close to that election time and people are focusing on where we are as a country and what we're going to do and what does the church need to do and what do we need to do as Christians and all that, we're going to begin a brand new message theme next week entitled Red, White, and Who, all right? Next week, Red, White, and Who. We're going to be talking about our identity as believers, our identity as a church, red and white, what the blood of Jesus did in our life, and then who we're really supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing. But we're going to have some invite cards for you uh, next week for you to be able to pass out and invite some friends, and you can just make them think that they can come. We're going to tell them who to vote for. That's what they can do. Just get all awkward real quick, you know. It'd be a good, it'd be a great time to invite someone to the house of the Lord. Uh, but today we want to close out our, our message theme on answers, and I want to talk about what was the top question in our survey, and that is, how do I find my purpose? The top question, how do I find my purpose? Now, there's a little caveat to that, a little something that i give you a little bit uh, more information on that. I spoke on this exact topic right around Easter. And I had some of you come up to me after uh, the 9 o'clock and say, I was here when you spoke on that. I spoke on this exact topic, how do I find my purpose right around Easter? And then we do our Easter survey, and we ask you, what are your questions? And the top question was, how do I find my purpose? So that tells me one of three things, that either I am a terrible communicator, y'all were not listening are you really, 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 really don't want to know your purpose? And I have a feeling it's probably all three. <laughs> no, we do. We want to know our purpose. It's who we are. It's, we try to figure out who we are and what we're called to do, what we're supposed to do. And so I'm going to do something that I've never done in, the, in 30 years of full-time ministry. I'm going to preach part two of a message that I started six months ago, okay? Part two of how do I find my purpose. Y'all going to listen this time? You ready? Get on the edge of your seat. Come on, get your notes ready. Uh, if you want to take notes, this hanging right in front of you has some message notes on the back. You can, you can take notes right on that. Uh, Jesus was the ultimate example of someone finding and fulfilling their purpose. The ultimate example. Would you agree with that? So if we're going to study and say, how do we find someone that can be an example of finding and fulfilling our purpose, then let's turn to Jesus Christ, because he 
did it. Look at this. Check out his purpose. John 3, 16 and 17 says this. For God so loved the world, or God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. One translation says everlasting life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. How many would agree that Jesus Christ fulfilled his purpose? He said, this is why I'm here, right? This is what I came for. The Father sent his son to do this. Jesus Christ fulfilled his purpose. Matter of fact, remember what his words were on the cross after he's given up his, here he goes, it's all, everything, blood out, everything's gone. And now he's getting ready to release his spirit. And what does he say? It is finished. That was like a mic drop right there, like, done. How, How many of you would love to live your life in such a way that right before you take your final breath, you could say, it's finished. I did it. I fulfilled what God put me on the earth for. How many would like that? Come on, let me hear the amen or some of those you don't even amen. Say, yeah, me, I want that. That's what I want. Well, I want to help us today because I really believe that we can do that. I don't believe that God put us here with a purpose that we can't fulfill. God is not a sadist. He wouldn't put us here and say, I want you to do something and then not give us the opportunity and the ability and the potential to do it. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, get ready. He's about to preach to you right now. Mm -hmm. Turn to your second choice and say, I'm sorry I didn't choose you first, but he's going to preach to you too. Here we go. So we know that he did it, right? We know that he did it. He fulfilled his purpose. So now the question is, how did he do it? That's what I want to know. I know he did it. I want to know how he did it. It's found in John chapter 6 and verse 38. Here's what Jesus said. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Jesus' purpose in life was to do his Father's will. Jesus Christ never had to ask himself, what is my purpose in life? He didn't have to read a book. He didn't have to get purpose-driven. He didn't have to take a personality test. Didn't have to go in depth. There was never a moment in his life that he had to stop and say, wonder what I'm here for. Never. Because Jesus Christ understood his one purpose in life was to fulfill his Father's will. Matter of fact, this is what helped him make the right decisions. Now, we always talk about Jesus living a sinless life, but how many of you know that not sinning is based on decision-making? Right? That's what it comes down to. Well, sin, no, decision-making. There's the problem. That's right. A friend of mine says this, good choices, good life. Bad choices, bad life. Sin or not sinning is all about the choices that we make. Jesus Christ could always make the right choice because he knew what his purpose was. He knew it. Matter of fact, think about 
the roughest, toughest time in Jesus Christ's life had to be at the Garden of Gethsemane. When the Bible says right before he's about to step into in the trial and the crucifixion and the whipping and the, all that he's about to go into, he gets to this place that he's in such a stressful situation that his sweat turns into blood. I mean, I've been stressed, but I ain't never been stressed like that. He's, he just, oh, the anguish. And he says this, Father, is there not another way? If you could find another way, can you please not do it this way? Can you imagine what the angels in heaven must have done in that moment? When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, stops and goes, can we find another? Oh, no. What's going to happen? What's going to happen now? And then he goes, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Those of you that are right now facing some tough decisions, some tough choices, trying to figure out what you're supposed to do, one of the greatest ways to figure out how to make the right choice is this. Will this help you fulfill your will? Chris and I are walking some friends through a a tough situation right now. Very, very tough. And we're trying to walk them through it and help them walk through it. And and it just comes down to this is, man, what is the will of God? What's going to further God's kingdom? What's going, to ble- what's going to help him? Jesus Christ never, ever had a question. He always knew it. What if you and I could take on that same mindset? What if we could take on the mindset that our purpose in life is to fulfill the will of God? Here's what I found. Check this out. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. You and I, most of the time, even believers, even Christians, do just the opposite. We're trying to figure out the all. How can I get the all? How can I figure out my purpose and my mission statement? And my, I got to get, I got to get me, figure me out and how I'm going to do it and my plan and my strategies and all that. And Jesus said, if you will focus on the kingdom of God and doing things right, doing things the God way, all of this other stuff will be added to you. Here's what I found. I found that when we fulfill God's plan, we find and fulfill our own. If you can get to a place, if I can get to a place that I am focused on fulfilling the plan of God, the will of God, what I'm going to find out is in the middle of that, I'm going to find that I'm doing what I was always supposed to be doing. And I'm going to have the most fulfillment that I've ever had in my life. The most unfulfilled people are the people that are reaching after the all and not going after God's will and God's righteousness. Psalms 37 and 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Come on, I'm in a room full of passionate people. You got passions, you got dreams, you got desires. Man, I hear it all the time. Man, I'm gonna do this. I feel called to do this. I'm Passionate people. God loves passionate people, but God loves people that delight in him. And once you do that, you find suddenly that the things that you're passionate about, the things that you're desiring, God gets passionate about. God gets desired. He, uh, and those things just begin to happen in your life. 
So it's really simple. It's just simple. Fulfill the will of God, and you will fulfill your purpose in life. How many of you just sometimes you don't want it that simple? Just raise your hand. I, I, I kind of want a little more complicated. Because then I can say, well, I can't do that. <laughs> but it just comes back. Jesus always has a way of just bringing it back and going, it's not that hard. It's just it's this. Fulfill God's plan, and you will fulfill your plan. I'll tell you this, you know, that right now I can say that, and it feels cool, you know. And you're like, oh, okay, I got it. But then, like, after lunch, right away, you're like, what was I called to do? <laughs> On Thursday, right? About Thursday afternoon. Like, what, what am I doing here? How am I supposed to be living life? And then you, then you multiply that as a, just for, I'll use me as an example. As a pastor, I'm looking right now at so many people with so many different personalities. Different, some are just in one person. You know, different personalities. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Different personalities, different passions, right? Different backgrounds right here in this room. And then sometimes Chris and I will feel the weight of that on us. Like, man, how in the world do we help all of these people fulfill all of their passions and their destinies, and their and I said before, we hear many times emails or, or texts or people, man, I'm going to write a book, or man, I'm going to start this ministry, or man, I got a dream, that's that song, and man, I got a business strategy, and man, I'm going to, in this company, and my, my, just like, and there are times I go home after Sunday going, oh my Lord, how can I ever help these people? How can we, what can we do to help? Because that's my goal. My, my gifting is encouragement. That's what I'm, I'm an encourager. That's what I'm called to do. And then I'm a pastor. I tried a lot of different things, but pastoring is what I'm called to do. So I'm called to encourage and to pastor people. And so what I want to do is I want to encourage you to be all that God's called you to be. And I want to help align and pastor and get you to that place. And I'm telling you, that can be so intimidating. And so I look back at what Jesus did. Because you're feeling the same thing as a parent, aren't you? Because every one of your kids are different. Oh, how do I make him? How do I help, how do I help Evan? And then Davis, is, they're, they're so different. How do I, what do I do? As a boss, same thing. As a teacher, whatever it is, you battle with it. How do I help these? So you look at how Jesus did it. Here's Jesus coming down right before he's about to ascend into heaven. Death, burial, and resurrection. He's already, that's all done. All right? He's, he, it is finished. And now he's looking at his 12 disciples. Now, you talk about different guy, type of guys, man. I mean, it's on every spectrum, these 12 guys. And that, that's not even including the 70 that were close to him or the 120 or the hundreds or the thousands or whatever it was. That's not even including them. We're talking about all manner of desires and destinies and passions and personalities. So what does he do? He doesn't take every one of them aside and go, now look, your purpose in life is this. Because you're passionate about this and you got these kind of desires, then this is your destiny. He didn't have a one-on-one. He got them all together and he said, hey, y'all, come up. I'm going to talk to y'all right before I go sit at the right hand of my father. Here we go. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you notice something that's missing there? Nobody got a personal purpose statement. What's my purpose in life? Our purpose in life is to fulfill the Great Commission. God bless y'all. We'll see you next Sunday. Y'all have a great day. Look, I know we want more because we want it to be about us. We, I want to know my personality, my identity. I want to know my mind, oh, me, my, moo, moo, moo. And he's like, no, I'm tired of talking about y'all. I came and gave my life so we wouldn't have to talk about you anymore. What is my purpose? He never talked about personal purpose and mission and statement. Instead, he gives every one of them the same commission. Those of you that have been with me from the beginning, those of you that betrayed me, those of you that walked away, all, every one of y'all, same commission. I want you to write this down or tweet it. At the Hills Inville, at John Rags, everyone do it. We all have the same call. I don't care what background you come from. I don't care how much sin you committed or how much you didn't commit. How, how much theology you've got under your belt or how little of the Bible you know. Every single one of us have the same purpose in life. And that is fulfill the Great Commission. So what is the Great Commission? Let's break it down because I want to help you this week, all right? First thing he starts with is go. He said, all power has been given unto me. Therefore, my daddy always said, when you see a therefore, you see what it's there for. All power has been given to me, so I'm going to give it to y'all. Y'all go now. The first thing he says is go. Now, y'all, those of you who have been a part of the hills, you know that I love diving into these words and getting the root word and the, the Greek and the Hebrew meaning. The problem is they're, like, they're in Greek and Hebrew, you know, and I'm from Mississippi and I can barely say English words. And so sometimes I just have to spell them out, all right? So the Greek meaning of the word go spelled out is G-O. Told y'all it was going to get deep. Huh? Come on, somebody. Help me out. That's some good, that's good teaching right there. The word for go means go. It means get out of your comfort zone. It means quit thinking about you. There are people out there that need to know about the abundant life that Jesus brings. Quit waiting on them to come to us. Go. I love that that's how God always does things. You know, Abraham. Abraham, I want you to leave everything you've ever known, and I want you to just go. Where, where am I going? Just start walking, son. Just start walking. How many feel like God does that to you sometimes? Where are we going, thunder? We're going to walk is where we're going to go. That's where you're walking. Just, just walk with me. What about Jesus? How he called his disciples. Think about that. You got these guys that have been fishermen. That's their livelihood. Their great-grandfather, just passed it along, fishing, they're tending their nets, and here comes Jesus. 
They ain't never heard of him, don't know who he is. And he just walks along and says, hey, y'all, come on, follow me. I'll make y'all fishers of men. And they're just like, okay, drop everything, just take off walking. That's how God is. It's always this movement. God's moving. God's always, every mouth that proceeds out of the word of God. He's a moving God. He hovers. He's, he's this, but we're stationary. We want God to come to us. We want people to come to us. And God is saying, the first part of the great commission is to go. There's a reason that the gospel begins with go. Geo, y'all got that, all right? I thought that'd be better than it was. The word gospel begins with the word go. There's a part of us that we're waiting on them to come here. If we can just get the lights right and the music right and the people right and the really cool, whatever. no, they're waiting on us to come to them right where they are. So nudge your neighbor and say, go. Check this out how it uses it in other gospels. Mark chapter 16 and 15, it says, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Go into all the world. How many of you, when, that, when we say that word world, there's a party that goes, oh, my Lord. The, wait, wait, the world? There's 7 billion people. The world? And then watch this, Luke chapter 24. It is also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations. All the nations? I get lost in my own neighborhood. You, to the nations? And then suddenly, Jesus does what Jesus does, and he makes it simple again. Beginning in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was what? Where they lived. Where they were. Come on, how many of you sometimes when we talk about, let's go reach the world. It's a little intimidating, but it kind of feels safe because you know we really can't do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, let's go reach them. Somebody go. Y'all go build orphanages and we'll pray for you and send money. Thank you. <laughs> it's a separation thing. Like, yeah, the world, the nations. Oh, I have a neighbor. Oh, okay. Where do we start? You start right where you are. You start right who you have. I've told the story, I don't have time to get into it, but when we were in Austin, Texas, and, and we had a neighbor living next to us that everybody told us, them are mean people right there. They are mean people. And they were. They were mean people. I just, I just fully expected stuff to go down at any point. I mean, it was, they were mean people. One day I was mowing my grass in the heat of Austin, Texas summer. Come on, y'all. Oh, Jesus. Thank you for Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> just cutting that grass. And I thought the Holy Spirit say, just go cut their grass. And the grass was high. I'm like, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I did it really fast because I know he had a shotgun in there. <laughs> just ripped this bowing that grass and finished just just left sprigs everywhere it was nasty got back over there to the house and about three or four hours later the doorbell rang and there's Meemaw Rayburn standing there with a banana bread well she was Miss Rayburn then but later on became Meemaw Rayburn Peepaw Rayburn uh, Peepaw was not a believer but they asked me to preach his funeral unbelievable just became dear close friends all because I just said, okay, I'll mow the grass. <laughs> what if somebody right next to you is just waiting for you to go? Just go. Just step out of your cubicle. Just say hello to that student that nobody talks to, 
that's sitting at the lunch table by themselves, that's awkward in sports, just take a little step. Just go. Nudge your neighbor again, the one that was your second choice a while ago, and just say, go. Go. How? Start where you are, what you're doing, with who you're with, right here, right now. Second thing he says is make disciples. The word disciple literally means to reproduce. The word disciple means to reproduce. You know, in the beginning, God created everything with seed inside it to reproduce itself. Man, isn't God smart? Every tree had fruit that had seed that could reproduce another tree. That's how God created everything. And the fruit of a disciple is a disciple. The fruit of being a disciple is meaning you're going to produce other disciples. The plan of God is this, that everything that's planted reproduces itself. So in other words, disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Man, if just one of us could get this today. Just one. Just one person that could get this and reproduce themselves who reproduce... Jesus, look, we're all sitting here today because Jesus said this to 12 guys. 12 guys that just started reproducing themselves, just discipling people. Come on, y'all. Man, if I've ever felt the message for our church, listen to me, come on. Those of you that are not a part of our church, just pretend you are. It's gonna be a good word for you. I have never felt more momentum in my life in ministry, never felt more passion in my life. For and Chris and I just came from probably the two hardest years of our life, and there have been times that we could have walked away and said we are done. But I have never felt more passion, more momentum, more health in my life. And I believe it's for this moment right here when one, two, twelve, twenty people get this and say, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about my purpose. I'm going to help fulfill God's purpose by going and. And reproducing myself. That's right. Amen. All y'all should have been clapping right then. That's it. everybody. Just that's it. Even you clappers should have clapped on that one, man. Come on. I'll give y'all another chance in just a minute. Okay, I'll tell y'all this is when you clap. God's plan is reproduction, and it should be our focus. As parents, let me help you. As parents, quit trying to make your kids successful and just disciple them. As a teacher, how am I going to just disciple? Well, I'm in a public school. That don't mean anything. They're looking at you. They're seeing your light. They're seeing how you handle things, how you walk through things. As an employer, as a boss, as a pastor, just Reproduce, disciple, make disciples. Well, I don't know if I, I can. You don't have to be a pastor to disciple. Matter of fact, you may be better at it because you know that's really not my job. I know some of you come from a background where the, the preachers do the work. You know, it's like we hire you, and we'll tell you what you go do that. That's not how God set it up. God set it up where the fivefold ministry is there for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. 
It's my job to make sure that I have a fresh word on Sunday, that I'm praying through the week, that I'm helping get to a place that you show up on Sunday and we can bring something that aligns you to a place and equips you to go do what God's called you to do right where you are. That's where you clap, right there. That would be the clap. That would be it there. I wanna, so I want to I wanna break that mindset off you because really, some folks, that's the way church was. Well, that ain't how we do church at the hills, okay? That's just not how we do it. We believe in giving together, serving together, sharing together. It ain't come in, put on a good show. We don't put on good shows, all right? We don't do good shows. That's not what we do here. We're all about pushing forward the purpose of God in the earth. Everybody can do it. Anybody can do it. But I'm telling you, you know, it can seem a little daunting, though, when you think about that. Wait, you want me to make someone a disciple of Jesus, the perfect one? Do you know how much I got to get them demons out of them, first of all, man? Now I got to teach them how to read the Bible, and they got to do this and do that. No, let me help you make it really simple. Here's what you do. Just help folks move one step closer to Jesus. Don't look all the way at the end where they've got to be a modern-day Messiah, you know? They've got to be the next Billy Graham. Just start right here. You're in a conversation with somebody. Hey, where do you go to church? You don't go, oh, come on, you got to come. Man, we got good coffee. We love on people. You're going to feel well. Just, I'll give you a ride. I'll take you to lunch afterwards. You can sit by me. I'll meet you in the lobby, you know? Watch that, one step. Or you meet someone at church that's just kind of here, but, and hey, are you, in a, are you in a gathering? Are you in one of our small groups? I love what April said. Small group gatherings are where we run together. I love that. You, people, who are you running with? I'm running with these. That's where, you in a gathering? You're not, oh, come on, you gotta come be a part of our small group, our gathering. Just, and then you're in that gathering, and hey, so what you've been reading? What scripture you've been reading? Well, I don't really read the Bible. Really? Let me help you with that. Start in the book of John. Read it in the message or the New Living Translation. And, hey, it's on your phone. It'll read it to you. Just come on. You see what's happening there? It's just that one step. You don't pray. Oh, man, prayer is awesome. You're missing out. Just, five, just start five minutes a day. Just do five minutes. You see what's happening there? And it's just little by little by little, you begin to reproduce Jesus Christ in someone else. I'm not a good preacher, but this is good preaching, right? I'm telling you, I can feel... Jesus, help us. The next thing he says, he says, go make disciples. And he says, baptize them. Let me, let me explain what, how significant that is. this is. Because in reality, this is more about us as disciple makers than it is about making disciples. The word baptism signified immersion, to be buried, buried, going down. Underneath, buried. Y'all know what happens when you bury someone, right? Their life is over. It's done. You loved them, but now that life is over. That's what's significant of baptism. You're immersed, you're buried, and the Bible says you come up out a new creation. Brand new, new identity. I'm looking at people right now that are believers, but you've never really been immersed in Jesus Christ. Because if you're immersed, I'm not talking about literal baptism. But yes, if you haven't been baptized, we would be happy to baptize you, all right? Not right now because we ain't got one over here, but we can set one up. But it's more about that significance of 
well, I'm a believer. But have you been immersed in Jesus? Has your life gone away? Have you come up with a new identity and a new way of thinking and a new mindset? You know, baptism, uh, there's several things about baptism. Uh, one is we read in our text, he said, I want you to go and I want you to baptize him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. And that is significant because baptism goes back to an Old Testament. It's not New Testament, it's Old Testament. It didn't start with John the Baptist, you know what I mean? It was, even though his name had it in it, it was before that in which a rabbi who taught the word of God, bless you, a rabbi who taught the word of God Each of the rabbis had a different way of teaching the word. They had their own bent on it, you know? Like we have churches now because you like the way that preacher does it or that church, the way they do it. Well, the rabbi would look at the word a certain way and people would go, oh, man, I like that. Okay, that's going to be my rabbi right there. I'm going to follow him. Well, if you really became committed, you would become a disciple of that rabbi. So much that you would be baptized, okay? And there would have to be, that, that rabbi would baptize you and you would take on, oh, I, this is my man, right? That's my boy right there, me and him, you know? Matter of fact, it was called a yoke. You would take on the, ra- the yoke of the rabbi. That's why Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is like the other rabbi is gonna make you do crazy stuff. I'm, I'm just gonna tell him, don't you love how Jesus just simplifies everything, just makes it really easy? And so you would be baptized, but there was a law that said you had to have two or three witnesses at every baptism or it wasn't valid. Am I losing y'all? Y'all still with me? I went teaching right real quick, didn't I? Two or three witnesses at every baptism where Jesus is telling his disciples, I want you to go into all the world baptizing them knowing that Philip is going to be baptizing in Acts. Philip baptizes a eunuch. It's just him and this guy. No witnesses. So how is that valid? That's when Jesus says, I want you to go baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You don't have to worry about having witnesses there. They're going to be looking. They're going to be there. Then, Amen, amen, amen. Let's be a part of this. Ain't that good? Then on the flip side of that, when you were baptized by that rabbi, guess whose name you were baptized in? The rabbi's name. So if his name was Theodore, when you were baptized, you took on the name of Theodore. You said, that's my man. Theodore is my man. That's my rabbi. And so in Acts, when Peter is preaching to these folks and he tells them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, you know what he was talking to the people? The people that crucified Jesus. And what he was saying to them is, you ain't getting off so easy. The rabbi you killed, you're going to have to be baptized in his name. You're going to have to tell everybody around you, that's my rabbi. I'm taking him on. So baptism, I'm going to encourage some of you. You've never been baptized and you want to, we don't have one planned for several months. But if y'all want to be baptized, we will baptize. Just go up to the information bar and say, I want to be baptized. We'll do a special baptism for you. But before baptism, it's about right here, right now, immersing yourself into being a disciple of Jesus Christ, taking on his name, taking on the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit in your life. Be baptized. I'm going to tell you, when you do that, when suddenly you begin to let his identity become your identity, you're not going to have to worry about thinking about discipling other people. 
because you can't help it. I got to tell you what he did to me. Come on. I got to tell you what Jesus Christ has done in my life. It won't be like I got to invite people to church so we can fill up the seat. No. I can't wait. You got to get you a minivan. Get you a Marinick van to get the people here. Identity. Come on, let's go. And then he says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Go, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And then once again, I go, oh, my Lord. (laughs) That's a lot of stuff. I mean, you think about that. Teach them everything. (laughs) There's 10 commandments, and then they added to those. Have you read Leviticus? If you're sick, you can't go here. And then if you have that, you can't do that. And I don't know. And it just seems to be this big weight. You know, you're walking around like, how am I going to make disciples of anybody? But you notice Jesus said, I want you to teach them everything I've commanded you. And one of the smart alecks said, what's, your, what's the greatest commandments? And he said, well, there's only two of them. The two great ones. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law, this is found in Matthew 22. He said, all the law and all the prophets are fulfilled in those two commandments. And suddenly this big, heavy family Bible just begins, oh, okay. Well, that's, okay, okay. When it comes down to it, how do I fulfill the purpose of God in my life? Love him, love them, done. We had the memorial service for Mr. Ben Ellis last Sunday. It was a long service, over two hours. We sat there as one after one student, star artist, pastors, friends would just come up and talk about Ben Ellis. We got in the car, we're driving off, and I asked Davis. Davis is our 14-year-old, and I asked Davis, I said, Davis, what did you get out of that? And Davis said something very insightful. He said, you know, I've been to funerals where everybody talks about how much they love the person that died. But this is the first funeral I've ever been to that everybody talked about how much the person loved them. What if we could just live that kind of life? That people know, I love Jesus and I love you. I don't agree with you, (laughs) but I love you. What about you? What about that part of your heart right now? What about, is there a part of your heart that it's hard for you to, to love somebody because you've got unforgiveness toward them? Is that tough? Just get some unforgiveness? Think about that. I, I always use the illustration of true forgiveness is this. Someone comes to your house and you got that $10,000 vase in the lobby. I know y'all have those. I, I know, been to your house. Just a common thing at the hills. And they bump into it and they break that vase. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And you go, oh, it's okay. All right, it's okay. Ten thousand. Just say it's a $10 vase. That'll make it more believable. <laughs> it's okay. I got it. Oh, don't worry about it. No, no, let me pet it. No, no, go. Don't worry about it. But then the next time you see them, all you can think about it, they never paid me back for that vase. He didn't write me an I'm sorry note. Right? No, forgiveness means this. You broke the vase. You should pay for it. But I'm going to give for you. 
That's forgiveness. Again, doesn't mean that you got to like them. Doesn't mean you got to go to lunch with them. Don't get that confused. Doesn't mean you got to agree with them. Just means you got to forgive them. Go. I feel that strongly here today. I felt it at our early service as well. The Holy Spirit's touching someone right now. Because this is going to help you and me move into the abundance that we're supposed to move into. And then I love this. Jesus says this. Go. Make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to obey my commandments. And then, if he hadn't already made it easy, he makes it even a little easier by saying in Matthew 28, 20, And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end, end of the age. He's saying, all right, here's your, here's your purpose. Go do it. But I'm going to come along with you. I'm going to be right beside you. And if I'm lifted up, I'll draw people to me. And the Holy Spirit is going to help you. Look at this, Acts 1 and 8 in the message says this. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses. I know some of you Pentecostal charismatic folks thought the Holy Ghost came upon you to give you chills, you know, and miracles and signs and wonders and all that. Yeah, it's part of it, but it is really there to help us become a witness. The Holy Spirit comes on us and empowers us to be a witness. So he gives us this great commission, and then he says, I'm going to come. That's the reason it's a commission. It's a co-mission. We are co-laborers with him. You don't have to do it by yourself, but you do need to be willing to do it. How many received that word this morning? Come on. Do you receive that into your heart? Come on. Come on. I want to pray over you.